Welcome to the latest episode of the Bureau 42 X-Files Retrospective Podcast. This week we're discussing episode 10, Fallen Angel. Fallen Angel originally aired on November 19th, 1993. It was one of the early mythology episodes. It was also one of only two directed by Larry Shaw, which is actually somewhat surprising because both this and Fire, which we'll talk about in a couple more episodes, are two of the strongest episodes of this first season. The basic idea behind this one is that Fallen Angel is a code name for a crashed UFO and that Mulder's been given leaked information about it, and he's heading to the site. And here we see a lot of the staples and a lot of the standards that really set the X-Files apart, things that really feel like the show and make it different from the rest. Again, with the teaser, we don't see Mulder or Scully at all. This is when the initial crash happens. So there's a deputy who sees eruptions in the woods and fire, so we don't actually see anything hit. We just see the flames bursting up, so we get the impression that something there, when we're told later there's a crash, it makes sense in retrospect. This is another case where they're going a long way on a short budget, so they don't have to actually smash anything into the ground, they just need to get a big fireball to go up. So the deputy goes to check it out. Meanwhile, there's a surveillance center that have identified things, and Colonel Calvin Henderson is there, and he's one of the people who's monitoring it, he's clearly in charge, and here's the one that tells people that this aircraft that's maneuvering like no known aircraft can maneuver is a meteor, and its aberrant movement was obviously due to instrument malfunction, and the report will reflect those facts. And then we see him in another area calling in what he's saying is the fallen angel in any given sector. Cut back to the deputy, and he's attacked by something that's flashing. Not only do we not see it, but we just barely see the effects. Again, they're really stretching the budget here. We couldn't see the alien instead of trying to design an alien. What we've got is a low angle, meaning the camera's down low near the ground. We've got a low angle shot, the camera moves towards him, and we're seeing it from this creature's point of view. Another way that they really set it apart is that all these shots that we see from the creature's point of view are done with what's called a fisheye lens. So it's shaped like the lens of a fisheye that captures a lot of information, but it distorts it to do it. Uh, we see a lot of these in security cameras, where you can sort of see things being twisted into a circular shape to pull in more of the outlying areas. Uh, it was also used very well on the Maltese Falcon. Every time we see Sydney Green Street on screen, we see him through a fisheye lens to make him look even larger than he actually was. Not that he was particularly small in the first place. There's also a bit of a sign in the teaser about some of the other budget limitations that may have been in effect. Both Deputy Wright and Colonel Henderson are played by actors who have to wear the hats of the uniforms. So the deputy has his hat, Henderson has his. In both cases, their eyebrows are going up and down like Matt, but only in these scenes. Later on, we never see them in the hats again. In fact, we never see Wright again at all. And now their eyebrows are moving normally, which makes me wonder if maybe they didn't have the budget to properly size the hats, so these eyebrow motions were meant to keep that hat in place until the was done. After this, we go to the opening credits. Come back from the opening credits, and again, very compressed storytelling here. Really keeps things moving. We've got Mulder in a hotel room, and we're just getting flashbacks to snippets of a conversation he had with Deep Throat, where Deep Throat was the one who tipped him off. And that's the reason he's out here working with the retrieval unit. So with this, we get that conversation, we get it quickly, and Mulder is already in place here in Wisconsin. So Mulder heads through, he's got the equipment with him to get through a laser fence, and he manages to weave his way in, hanging on the bottom of a Jeep's fuselage, other things like that. When he's taking pictures, he ends up getting captured, and he's thrown into a portable brig. And in the stall next to him, there's a guy named Max Fennig who introduces himself. And he's specifically asking if Mulder's from MUFON, or QFOS, or PSYCOP. What we find out is that Max is a member of NICAP, the National Investigative Committee of Aerial Phenomenon. And it's, you know, just a guy nearby. He's seen a lot of the same stuff. Even Mulder's playing it pretty cagey, not really letting on what he thinks. He's trying to sort of draw Max 
thinning out. Not that Max seems to need a lot of information to open up. And from there we cut to a scene where the door to the brig opens the next morning. There's a lot of light. There's a silhouette there. Max is already gone. This is the first time we see Scully in this episode. So at this point we're actually 12 minutes and about 45 seconds into a 45 minute and 54 second episode. As can tend to happen in some of the early mythology episodes, especially the ones where Deep Throat is kicking things off, Scully is not as much of an active participant. At this stage in the series, the whole overarching conspiracy and the overarching mythology hasn't really affected her as much. And it's that's not going to change for a little while longer, but it marks the turning point. It'll be nice when we get there. Scully's here and she's been sent. She's found out that Section Chief McGrath knows that Mulder's there. He's stepped above Blevins and he's trying to shut down the X-Files. So Section Chief McGrath is an actor we haven't seen yet and a character we haven't seen yet, but he will be recognizable to a a lot of viewers. So if you check out his Internet Movie Database listings, he's got 95 credits to his name. Some of the more prominent ones are Wayne's World, License to Kill. So again, he made a name for himself, and even some of these major roles that he had, he had before the X-Files, though we don't see him in the episode quite yet. At any rate, Scully comes in with what she has heard as the story, which is that this is not a UFO as Mulder believes. It's not the toxic spill and the ecological disaster that they're feeding the media. Scully's found out through digging that the highly classified explanation for it is that it's a downed Libyan jet with a nuclear warhead. And Mulder laughs. When he was taking photos of the crash site, the audience saw it. That was not a jet. From there, it cuts to the laser fence that Mulder came through at first. Here's our first so-called shot of the alien. We see a slightly humanoid shape that's mostly invisible. It's just a distortion field, basically. So we can tell there's something kind of humanoid in that spot, but then we don't have the makeup effects. It's something they could do in post-production. It works well for the story. It makes the, the hunt for this thing that much more plausible and that much more difficult. It also sets up a lot of these attack scenes that are coming on. And this distortion effect is significantly cheaper than doing some sort of makeup effect on the budget that they had at this point in the series. Cut from here to Mulder returning to his hotel room with an Airstream trailer attached to a station wagon in the background. They come to Mulder's hotel room and it's been torn up. Someone has rifled through everything. They hear noise in the bathroom. Mulder's now disarmed, presumably from his time as a captive. So Scully pulls her gun out. They go to the bathroom and there's Max Fennig again. So the same guy who's in the cell next to Mulder. This is another big piece of the puzzle. It seems kind of neat here. But Max is apparently a fan of Mulder. He's been aware of Mulder's work and that Nightcap have actually been following Mulder pretty closely ever since he became involved with the X-Files, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. He even addresses uh, the enigmatic Dr. Skelly, and we find out he's been following it, and this is the first time Mulder gets the feeling that there's others on his side. You know, he didn't think anyone would notice when he published an article even under a pseudonym, which was an anagram of his name. So then Max takes Mulder and Scully out to his airstream, and while Max is showing Mulder all his conspiracy things that he's excited about, Scully wanders through and finds some medication she understands what it means. It hasn't been explained to the audience just yet. But you can tell immediately whatever's on those labels has very strongly colored her perception of Max Fennig. Either way, Max plays some of the recordings he made with his police scanner, or at least his radio scanner, and we hear the recording of Deputy Wright calling in and other people having men down and everything that happened the night of the crash. Now, again, this is very nice work on this budget. We've got the mobile camera, so instead of doing the zoom compound lens, they're pushing in. So when they zoom in on Scully and they zoom in on Mulder, they're not doing it with an actual zoom lens. They're actually just moving the camera closer to them, which is, it's a very different feel. It keeps
keeps things a lot more realistic because it doesn't alter the perceived distances as zoom lenses do. It also helps with the on-location shooting because again you're going from just a single camera and you don't need the same construct, you just need a strong camera operator. And that's something that the X-Files has consistently had, are strong people operating those cameras. As they continue the investigation, they meet Deputy Wright's widow, find out that she's been denied access to the body, and then if she tells people about it, they'll cut her husband's pension, and now, single mom with a child, she can't afford that. From here we get another scene where the military are trying to track down the alien. It's not looking well for them. They get, they get attacked. Meanwhile, Mulder and Scully are at the hospital where Dr. Wright was admitted, and they meet Dr. Oppenheim and talk to him and find out he's been kind of bullied and he's trying to talk, and he does eventually confirm that both Deputy Wright and the other groups of responders came in with massive burns that may have been caused by ionizing radiation. Of course, the conversation, he also finds out that Scully has a background in forensic medicines. Before they leave, the latest victims of the attack, as the, the military agents tried to bring this alien in, are brought through, again, serious burns, and Dr. Oppenheim stands up to Colonel Henderson this time and manages to get Scully to stay. So Scully's there and she's staying behind. She's helping to treat the men as a medical doctor, which actually gives a very plausible reason to split Mulder and Scully up again, at which point Mulder goes back, goes to visit Max, and finds Max on the ground in the middle of an epileptic seizure. This is actually really nice. The actor who played Max Fenning is a man named Scott Bellis. Now, he played the part very well, and I don't know if some of the elements he brought in were scripted or if they were his own ideas, but one of the things that happened in the times that we've seen Max before is he has a nervous tick. When he's feeling a little nervous or a little out of place, he scratches behind his right ear. And he's got some pretty long hair that's always arranged so you get a clear view of his left ear. You don't always get a clear view of his right. After Mulder finds out about the epilepsy, learns a little bit about his background, he helps Mac rest, and he notices there's a little scar behind Max's ear, which is consistent with what he's seen previously for multiple abductees. So now Mulder's getting the feeling that Max is a multiple abductee, whether Max knows it or not. So when Scully returns, Mulder's already going through the files he's sees these other scars. Scully's come back from a hellish day in that emergency room. They've lost a lot of the men, could still lose more. And this is when they debate about Max Fennig and... Scully says, well, you know, some of these meds are for epilepsy, some of them are used exclusively for schizophrenia, and more than likely, Max is delusional. So she's really putting pressure on Mulder to get back to Washington, which makes sense. The Section Chief McGrath is trying to shut them down. Meanwhile, the surveillance center that's headed by Colonel Henderson discovers another meteor, this time hovering over a small town in eastern Wisconsin. Again, we cut to the view of these aliens and these creatures in a strong fisheye lens as they go right in on Max. Mulder and Scully head into the trailer to talk to Max before they go. They find Max missing with blood on his pillow, and there's also reports coming in over the scanner of an unidentified trespass at the waterfront, and they hear Colonel Henderson reporting move on target. Again, this is another moment where they treat the audience with a lot of respect. In a lot of cases, they take the time to explain to the audience, oh, the character's going to go from point A to point B, now they're going to head out. Here they just exchange a look, again, with the push-in on the camera. We know Mulder's going to go after the waterfront to try and find Max, and we know Scully's going to be upset about it and fighting it. When they do this and they have the fight, it's another scene where... Mulder is explaining his theory, and it's a lot of exposition. Why would they do this standing in a parking lot, just facing each other, when there's a lot of other work to do? So there's a nice little touch here, where Mulder is going through all of his pockets, looking for the keys to the rental car, presenting his position. That helps explain why they're standing there. It makes sense that they're standing there, they're still talking, and they're not continuing the conversation of the car while they're going. And he's digging for it. It ends with, do you have the keys? And Scully says, yes, hands them over. So from there, they get to the waterfront. Max is there. Max is running from the military, who have been ordered to treat him as very dangerous. He heads into a warehouse to try and hide out from them. And the officers that go after them do not work very well. Mulder and Scully actually catch up with Max first. They find him. Mulder stays with Max 
who's curled up in the fetal position asking for help, asking for protection. Skelly leaves to face Colonel Henderson and say, you have a sick man, we're going to the hospital. He's calling in the teams to take Max down. So again, we've got a reason for them to split. Now, it's the military teams with the infrared detectors who have identified that there's three bodies in the warehouse. Mulder's there. He's the one person who gets blasted by the creature without getting the massive third degree or fifth or sixth degree burns without the ionizing radiation. It just separates him from Max. My gut instinct the first time I saw that was why spare molars are just for the sake of keeping the story going. I mean, you could argue that it's just because Max is there and this thing doesn't control. It seems like it's a pretty wide burst and he needs to protect Max. So it's just a minimal shot just to get Mulder out of the way. Again, we see actually an improved version of the same special effect shot that we saw back in Shadows, where Max is hovering in the air. Of course, he disappears, which makes no sense to the people outside. Now there's only one body in there. They blow the door. They come running in. They find Mulder there. He is limping after being thrown around by this creature before it took Max. We cut from here back to Washington, and this is where we have the hearing with Section Chief McGrath that's going to determine whether or not Mulder's allowed to continue in the FBI at all, let alone whether the X-Files are allowed to continue. And it does not go well. Mulder has supporting evidence for his ideas, but they contradict the official report, so he's getting shot down left, right, and center. And he gives one of the classic X-Files speeches about how no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth, and how he can't disprove lies that are stamped in official seal. The final scene is one that does a lot for the future of the series. It puts a lot of things in doubt. We're almost at the midway mark in the first season, and it ends with Section Chief McGrath storming out of the building into the courtyard. Absolutely furious, seeing someone that first we only see, you know, the arm from behind, and then we hear that distinctive voice. He's reporting directly to Deep Throat, who has overturned the committee's case and overturned their decision to shut down the X-Files. So Deep Throat has taken actions to overrule McGrath that seem to be specifically designed to keep the X-Files open and keep Mulder running. But he ends saying that Mulder's occasional insubordination is far less dangerous than having him exposed to the wrong people. And Deep Throat says, always keep your friends close, Mr. McGrath, but keep your enemies closer, which is a nice moment here, because up to this point, it seems that Deep Throat has been helping Mulder, as it seems he was at the beginning when he sent Mulder on this path. But now we have a reason to question, so who's he lying to? Is he lying to Mulder, or is he lying to McGrath? Is he just trying to set Mulder up for a controlled fall, or is he honestly trying to help? So it puts a nice twist on the relationship between the two that we're going to be seeing in the coming weeks. Speaking of the coming weeks, join us next time for Eve, which is Season 1, Episode 11. Intro and outro music is by Lastwell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content, copyright 2014, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments and feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes.